Well, this is one of my favorite stories. It is weird. It is funny. And there's a darkness to it. And I think you put all those together, you've got, you've got a good evening ahead of you. Um, I'm not, if you're tuning in in real time, I'm not saying I'm going to go to the evening. I'm not saying I'm not. Um, You've you got to love the, uh, the Zoltan. If you remember those, you used to put in a, a quarter or a token and it would spit out a fortune. Well, Balaam was about as reliable as that. And this is a very, very strange story. And one of the reasons we love it is because it is strange. It pops out. It's very different from the rest of the stories we find in this time. And we're going to address the strangeness and we're going to uh, enjoy the ride. But there can be a problem whenever you focus on the strangeness and you miss the darkness. And this is a very dark area. Numbers chapters 22 through 31 have some of the darkest material in the scripture. And Balaam's story is interwoven through it. Let's set the scene. A few weeks ago, we talked about your own personal Jordan, and we had you thinking what it would be like to be the, the new generation of those that had wandered after 40 years in the wilderness, standing there looking across at a hostile territory. Between you is the Jordan River in flood, in full flood, bursting its banks. You believe, because you are at this time Israel believed that God was God above all other gods, but they did believe that the other gods were there. They were henotheist, uh, H-E-N-O theist, if you want to look that up. Everybody was at this stage. And so they were frightened of the, of the river. They were frightened of what that could be. But today we're going to approach that same scene, but from the other side. What were they thinking? Seeing the Israelites approach to that river, what were they thinking? Well, the, the approach was not unnoticed. They, they'd been able to see this. They'd, they'd seen the battles that had already been fought. The king of Moab was very, very concerned. And of course, he, he had to be. Set battles had to be set into place because they weren't convenient. People didn't have standing armies as such, not until the empires were built. And so this in this little area, no, this kingdom level, and we'll talk about that here in a bit, he, he knew he had to do something. He had to gather his people. But whenever you look at your tribe and then you look at the other tribe and you're thinking, I need more tribes. I need more help. Now, I'm going to call them tribes and kingdoms here. And just to remind you that kingdoms is what they called themselves, but they did not resemble at all kingdoms that we think of when we say the word kingdom. We would call them a tribe. A tribe that had marked out a very small bit of land, really, and saying, this is our land and I rule over all of these things. So now he's got to figure out what can we do? How can we fight? And he decided he needed help. So he sought out a celebrity. He did. The most famous seer, soothsayer, prophesier, cursor, and blesser of the day, Balaam. In fact, Balaam is so well known or was so well known that he is in history outside of scripture. There are inscriptions and writings about Balaam outside the Bible that talk about his great power and his great reputation. It is, um, it's rather like, and kids, you, we used to live in a very dark time called the 80s and 90s. And there, there was no access to cell phones and um, information and, so, and also calls cost you money. 
not just phones and monthly plans, but calls cost you money. And a growing number of th these burst upon the scene, Miss um, uh, Cleo or Madam Cleo was one of them, that would do a commercial and she would say, and she was very thick Jamaican accent, which was strange because she was born and raised in, in Brooklyn. But she would do this about, you know, I, I have these ears and if you call me, you know, your, your first three minutes are free and then it's $3.99 a minute. And people would call and rack up phone bills in the thousands getting advice from these, on, these television psychics. I know, I know. Earlier generations were strange and they might not have been as smart as we told you they were. It, um, Madam Cleo had an amazing fall, by the way. It's, it's interesting. The point being, we've always fallen for this. If you don't believe that, cast your mind back about a month ago when everybody told you what the results of the election in the United States are going to be. Who got it right? Well, there are a lot of people saying they did now, but at the time, I'm not so sure. We look for soothsayers and, well, Balaam was a celebrity. He came from a whole village in modern-day Iraq. Now remember where we are. We are around the Jordan River. We are not near Iraq. How famous do you have to be that they know you over there? And in fact, he came from a village that was known for being a village of psychics and um, the ability to change things, not just to know what's going to happen, but the ability to give a blessing or a curse that would actually change the course of battles and that would change the, um, the future of families. These have been all around us. I, I can still remember uh, back in the early 2000s, I, I was at a dentist. He's rooting in there. I don't know why dentists think that we need to have a discussion. I just don't. That's not what I'm there for. But he's got sharp things rammed all around in my my oral cavity here. And, and he was saying, listen, I've been listening, reading a lot about Nostradamus and he seemed to really know a lot of stuff. And what is your take on him? And my first thought was, Are, aren't you a, a science person? You know, and a little frightened that this person now has metal in my mouth. And second, how does one look at him and say, are, are you kidding me to a person who has got sharp things in your mouth? People still fall for it. They still do. And Balaam believed he was a wizard with demigod powers. And he was very widely believed. So the people stand ready. We're going back on the other side. Ready to cross. They'd already proven themselves in battle. They'd defeated the king of the Amorites. They'd defeated, uh, defeated the king of Bashan. And the king of Moab sees the dominoes falling. And he's going, I need help. So he sends for Balaam. And pays for him to come and curse Israel. Because if they get past Jordan and the god Baal or Baal, then the Moabites could be in real trouble. So they sent for him. Well, undoubtedly a fraud at some level, Balaam seemed to think he did have some power. And he certainly believed in blessings and curses. So God sent him a dream saying, don't curse Israel. So when the messengers get there, Balaam goes, I'm really, really sorry, but Yahweh appeared to me in a dream and told me that I, I, I can only do what he demands. Well, the king, they go back. The king of Moab, and his name was Balak, and because his name's Balak and we're talking about Balaam, I decide just to call him the king of Moab, all right? The king of Moab um, 
sent his highest levels of priest over him. This was a big deal. You know, status was a big deal then. And you, with honors. We don't know what the honors were. They were probably titles plus gold plus trinkets. You know, anything that you useful. So he sent this big entourage to him. And he is swayed. Malam's going, all right, this, this, this is sweet. This is sweet. I, I, I don't have to do this. God says no. And Balaam goes back to him and goes, but it's really cool stuff. I'd like to go. And God goes, okay, but you can't curse Israel. Balaam goes, deal. I want you to think about this for a moment. When I was a boy, I remember many times the preacher would thunder, you can't argue with God. And then somebody left me alone with the Bible. And I read the Old Testament. And you have Abraham saying, let's not destroy the city yet. What if we find this many people? And bargaining God down. And God being cool with it. And then looking over at Moses. And God says, well, this is a problem. We're going to try this. If that doesn't work, we're going to try this. If that doesn't work, we're going to try. And I'm looking at, at God in my head going, this is interesting. And then how can two walk together? And he says, walk with me. If any of you agree about something, we agree in heaven. We have a God who is very willing to work with us. That's the whole point of this dance. And who will move and adjust to our decisions even when they're bad ones. And we don't give him credit for that. And we need to. He is an amazingly powerful God. The only God. And yet he is also humble enough to work with the likes of us. And that is amazing. Wait till you hear the Christmas Eve service. It's going to be different. But good different. Wonderful different. Not horrible, awful different. So, here he goes. Balaam goes. Now, Balaam, like anybody else, again, was a henotheist. He believed in many gods. And in his mind, evidently, he is trying to figure out chess moves to get his gods and Moab's gods to outflank the real God. So he took a chance. God goes, okay. Now, Balaam knew, this is very important. Underline this bet in your head. Balaam knew God's name, but he didn't know his character. And that was a mistake. It, it reminds me a little bit on, on a much smaller scale of the sons of Sceva, who, whenever they watched you know, Paul and Peter throwing out demons, they decided, hey, good gig. And they went to someone who had a demon and they said, in the name of the, the, the God of Paul and Peter, you know, we order you out. And the demons looked at him and goes, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? <laughs> and left them naked and bleeding in the street, which is you know, not good for business. But I, I, I think of that, you, you'd know the name, but you'd better know the character. That Be very careful about these things. Balaam, and now this high retinue entourage are on the road. Balaam is riding his donkey. And I really wish that we could still use the King James for this, because I don't like saying donkey, um, but there it is. But, uh, you know, too many people go, ooh, and, and have, you know, have little fainting spells. Well, well, donkeys are considered comical to us. They are. You know, we have the, um, the wonky donkey. We have all those stories and the funny donkeys. To the Middle East, they were not funny because most people had to walk. And riding a donkey was far superior to walking. 
and carrying a load. No, let the donkey carry the load. Donkeys were signs of prestige. And in fact, that's how kings entered the city were on donkeys to show that they didn't have to walk. So here's Balaam with his donkey. And um, it's all about the prestige. Because here's the thing. You've got to surround yourself with symbols of power or people won't assume you've got any. And so you've got to, Balaam's got a rep. He's got to keep going. So they're moving. And when they go near a wall, why is there a wall in the middle of nowhere? Well, we don't know if it's in the middle of nowhere, but why are there so many low stone walls in, in the Middle East? For the same reason we've got them in Scotland. And that is because you can't plant, graze, or do anything because of the rocks and the, and the dirt. You got to dig them up. And where are you going to put them? You stack them up. And so you have these stone walls. Sometimes um, not very steady stone walls. They, they can be knocked down. Well, the angel of the Lord shows up. The angel of the Lord, we looked at this over a year ago. Uh, every time he's shown up, it is referred to as God and with the power of God. And so I've always said, this is Jesus. The angel of the Lord shows up, and, but the donkey sees it and no one else does. Which, remember, this story's in here on purpose. Sin is stupid. Sin can't see what a donkey can see. Job, um, God talked to Job a little bit about this too. He said, you're, you're trying to tell me how to run the universe. You can't even tame a donkey. Let us always keep in mind that any species that cannot tame and exert its will over a donkey might not be the preeminent intelligence in the universe. And that's part of the story. This high-ranking body of men thought they were at the pinnacle of their careers, but a donkey saw what they did not. The donkey balks at the sight of the angel who wasn't, and leaves the road and goes off into a field. Well, you got to control your donkey. Balaam tries to get control of the donkey, but the angel blocks her path again. And the donkey moves up against the wall, banging Balaam's foot. Poor boy. Don Balaam's whacking the donkey just rather now steadily. And you know, so the donkey runs down a path. But now it's between two. It's a narrow path between two low stone walls. And the angel blocks their way. And the donkey just gives up and lays down. I feel sorry for the donkey. Balaam's embarrassed. His prestige meter is going down. So he starts beating the donkey again. And God decides to make this fun. He has the donkey turn around and ask Balaam, why are you beating me? What have I ever done to make you beat me? We've been friends a long time. I, this is funny, people. This... Um, this isn't like God gave the donkey power of speech and the donkey spoke in its own, its own feelings and words. And, um, no, donkeys really don't have the capability of parsing sentences. But God's having fun with this because he wants a lesson to be learned. But the, and while that's funny, the most hilarious part to me is that Balaam did not shoot six feet up in the air and scream, it's a talking donkey. <laughs> but instead... He looks at him and goes, you're making me a laughingstock. I beg to differ. If you're having a discussion with a donkey and you are coming in second place, I don't believe it's the donkey that's causing the issue. It's just, he goes, and, and the donkey even comes back. Hey, have I ever let you down? They have a discussion, which is amazing. And Balaam has to agree. Well, no, you've been a good donkey. You know, you make some good points. 
about that time, God allows Balaam to see the angel. And the angel goes, why are you hitting your donkey? He says, I've come here as your enemy. Because what you intend to do is contrary to what I told you to do. If anyone is going to die here, because Balaam had said, I'm going to kill you, that to his donkey. He said, if anybody's going to buy, die here today, it's not going to be the donkey. It's going to be you. Now, how would you like to face that one? Please remember, this is the angel of the Lord that was seen the night before Jericho and Joshua, who we can't find being afraid of anything or any person except for this one night when he walked out and saw in the, in the language of scripture, the commander of God's army standing there. And Joshua went down. And in fear said, are you with us? Or are you with our enemies? And a commander said, neither one. I'm here as a commander of God's army. It's a good remember, a good uh, thing to remember that it's not about God being on our side. It's we got to be on his. And we got to make sure we're on his side. And the angel here is going, You've, um, you're going the wrong way here. And by the way, Balaam, being the ultimate con man, uh, does the whole kind of apology thing. If I have offended or displeased you in any way, I'll turn back. Well, the angel tells him, I really, this really shocks me every time I read it. Nah, okay, go on. But when you get there, you don't curse Israel. It surprises me because he was told not to go. And they said, I really like to go because they're really nice presents. And God says, okay, but don't curse Israel. And then on the way, the angel stops him and says, you might be killed here tonight. And then God, he says, can I still go? And God goes, okay, all right. So the king of Moab meets them at a high place. Now, a high place was considered to be closer to the heavens, therefore closer to God. Or their gods. Um, by the way, not everybody believed that. Some believed the low places belonged to God, so they'd go down to the low places. There's even battles in the Old Testament where um, the enemies of Israel would try to draw them up on a mountain or down in a valley, thinking that their God was a God of the other place, not understanding God was a God of all places. Well, the king of Moab meets him at a high place. They build seven altars there to their God. Then the king tells Balaam to earn his money and curse Israel. And instead, Balaam blesses Israel. Well, the king is very upset, but he says, Balaam says, I can only say what words are placed in my mouth. It's, it's kind of a spin on the, the spirits are telling me shtick, but um, the king's not ready to give up yet. So frustrated to go to a more high, holy place. It's not higher, it's just more holy. It's called Pisgah. And it's in some old hymns. On Mount Pisgah's lofty height, I view my home and take delight. You know, you, so you've, you've heard that name. and you, Especially in the south, you'll ever uh, come upon a Pisgah Baptist church or a Pisgah or a Mount Pisgah. So uh, a high holy place. So they build more altars there. They make sacrifices on each altar. This is running into some time and money. Balaam blesses Israel again. And he's very angry. King is very angry. So he takes them to Peor. Uh, to overlook the Israelites. This time the king doesn't ask Balaam to say anything, but the spirit of God comes over Balaam. And for a third time, he says a blessing over Israel. And king of Moab's had it now. You would think he'd kill Balaam, but no, you don't kill a wizard. 
You know, it's still, that could come back at you. So he just sends him home. And he and his men, the king and his men, all go back home. And if the story ended there, we would say that Balaam was a, a con man, but that he did the right thing here. But it doesn't end here. Unable to curse Israel, Balaam came up with another plan. And again, you can read this. It's a very dark passage. Uh, November, um, Numbers 22 through 31. He found a way to make the Israelites curse themselves. He told the king, several kings on the Transjordan, on the other side, take your most beautiful women and send them out in the desert and have them come up as a wandering group of shopkeepers, artisans, and entertainers. And so, the scripture says many thousands. We have no idea what exact numbers are here. Um, thousands were, was the highest number they had. And so sometimes they would say tens of thousands and tens of thousands. But here come the women. And they're to set up shop and work as traders and entertainers around the Israelites. And the, and the plan was to lure the men into marriage with them. Uh, and that way they would break their covenant and worship other gods. Now you might be thinking, why is it assumed that if you marry a woman, you would worship her God and not yours? And you'd only say that if you don't know men. Men will do almost anything for the love of a woman. They will do almost anything for attention. You know, I, I think it was Jeff Foxworthy that said, we're just dogs. Just feed us and pet us. That's all. And think of Solomon, said to be the wisest mere man that ever lived. How many outside of the covenant marriages did he have? And what was the result? And so, um, you know, women, I'm not trying to say here that that's your only power. I'm very well aware that you are you're super intelligent and you have all of that as well. But uh, men have a weakness and it can be exploited. The plan worked. So the men left covenant and God got angry and sent a plague. The story's in that passage. And then an armed incursion to strike back at Balaam and all those who approved of him. And Balaam is killed in that. Balaam had had enough chances. Some things need to be said. And some things need to be learned from this story. God makes a pretty impressive appearance here. And the story shows us the stupidity of men in their quest for power, prestige, status. And it also needs to be said that at the end of the day, at the end of this story, this passage, there's, there are horrors committed. And some of them are, are committed in the name of God. If you've been following the Monday morning messages for the last year and a half, you're prepared for this. If you haven't, if this is your first time to tune in, th this might be a bit shocking to you, but I'm just going to say it. Not everything in the Old Testament that says God said, did God say. If you can read Numbers 31, let's say, just to pick one, and every time it says the Lord said, put Jesus said, and you think it makes sense, I don't think you can. Because there's the slaughter of women and children and then the forced marriage of virgins to the Israelite men. And it is, thank Almighty God that you don't live in the Bronze Age. Thank Almighty God that you live now. It was ugly. It was dark. And we're not going to cover that passage today. But it has been covered in pieces in the Monday morning messages, and it will be covered in the midweek Bible studies of the next year. 
just to be aware, uh, let you be aware of here, we, we only have like 300 on YouTube. I don't know what other platforms listen to the midweek Bible study. But we've been going through the New Testament in the order that the books were written. And I've been asked to do the same with the Old Testament for people who think I'm going to live a lot longer than I probably will. Um, but we're going to start at that. But we can't do that in the order in which they were written because that is too much in dispute. And because some books were written over a period of many years with editors. And so we're going to find another way to go through that. But we will look at the dark passages. And we will not blink. Let's just say that God, that the Israelites sometimes said that God approved of a lot of things that Jesus would not have approved of. And we need, we need to be open and honest about that. But is there anything else we can learn from here? Well, yeah, yeah. One of the most important lessons we can take away from this is to ask ourselves, if we've ever sold our Christianity for fame, money, acceptance, status, power, or a win, everything's for sale. Everything's for sale. You might say, well, I'm not. Yeah, you see, you are. All of us are. Just don't sell yourself cheaply. If we sell ourselves to God and get covered by grace, that's one thing. But the world will want you to compromise everything about you and about what you believe so that you will be accepted by them. And the drive to be accepted is so powerful. I don't know how many times I have looked at the face, uh, mostly of young women, sometimes much more rarely of young men, who are in a dating relationship that is abusive at some level. And I've had to keep talking to them saying, this is as good as it will ever be. Because they're on their best behavior now. If you keep going with this, this will go worse and much worse. Most of the time they don't believe me. They believe my love will fix them and it will not. And they sell their common sense, wisdom, and future for the acceptance of somebody who does not love them back. And it's heartbreaking. But sometimes we, we sell ourselves for other things. I mean, the prophet, you, know, you look at Amos and he's a prophet of social justice. And he, you know, the, the scripture talks about you know, how we sell the poor because we buy stuff for us. Uh, rust is a witness against us is one of those lines that can chill you. Rust is my witness against you. In other words, you have so much stuff, you can't even use it. And there are other people that don't have stuff. And then, as the prophet said, you have sold the poor for a pair of shoes. Ow. We have to remember these things. What are we selling? And what are the price that we are asking? I've seen Christians lose their Christianity and attack other people over politics, prices, masks, difference in doctrines and vaccination ideas, returning a shopping cart or driving in a way that annoyed them. They just... They, out of a sense of self-righteousness, maybe? A twisted sense of human justice? Brothers and sisters, just let us learn that we are worth the Son of God. Therefore, there's nothing on earth that we should sell ourselves for. Nothing. And when someone comes at you, do not attack. And do not defend. Merely speak. Take your lesson from Jesus. When the devil came at him, he just said, It is written. And he merely spoke scripture. You will frustrate people mightily when you will not engage in debate. 
I have learned that, especially over the last eight or nine years, that they'll come at you and they are, are you afraid of me? No, no. Well, then you, you have to debate me. I've had a couple even said that I'm going to put up on my social media that you refuse to debate me. I said, that's your social media. You're allowed to do that. It's fine. I said, don't tell them you're afraid. Maybe somebody will believe you. It's all right. That's not a fear. I don't want to trade my Christianity and spend my time on earth fighting in the mud. I don't have time for that. You don't either. Merely speak and act. And remember the scripture that says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. If you cannot do, or if you cannot say what you're about to do or say in the name of the Lord, well then... I just beg of you, don't be less intelligent than a con man's donkey. That should be on a t-shirt. Great conversation starter, if you want conversation. It isn't just Balaam. Everybody's tongue and presence is up for sale in every day. Just don't sell yourself cheaply. The book of Hebrews says that a great cloud of witnesses is watching us. And that was actually a term used for the Colosseum crowds and sporting crowds. The cloud of witnesses. Uh, in fact, the witnesses back then were the uh, video review. Because if something went wrong, they'd turn to the crowd. And of course, the emperor sometimes would do the thumbs up or the thumbs down. By the way, here I'll blow your little mind. Uh, thumbs up meant uh, kill them. <laughs> we always get that backwards. Thumbs down meant don't. Uh, but regardless, I don't know why you needed to know that. Why do you bother me with these questions? I, um, when I talked to my kids growing up, I said, somebody is going to cheer your decisions today. Make sure the right crowd cheers. Make sure the cloud of witnesses cheers. We're going to pull out of here now and, and work toward the end. But it's, although it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, when I think of Balaam and he's saying, I can only say what he wants me to say, but then he did try to undo what he said by, um, by sneaking around. I sometimes think we need to remember the awesome power of God and who he is. And that while he is humbled to work with us, he is still God. And we need to know his character as well as his name. And one of the books that helps me remember that is Habakkuk. And it looks like Habakkuk, but it's Habakkuk. The middle is uh, emphasized. It's a little book, and I would really recommend that you take time to read three chapters, because that's all it is. Just three chapters. Read Habakkuk today, and let it sink into you. Because here's a prophet of God who goes to God with a complaint, saying, listen, we've been praying. We've been worshiping. We've been doing what you wanted us to do in the law. And yet, look at our enemies, and our enemies are encircled around us, and they are going to overthrow us. And God says, Habakkuk, you mistreated the poor. You sold yourself to here. The people of Israel can't come to me and say they're better than the people over there. And they are going to come at you and they are going to take you. At the very end, um, oh, by the way, Habakkuk was so, so convinced God was going to change. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then I went to see what the Lord would say to me. <laughs> And God said things to him. 
but didn't destroy him. It's all right to argue with God. Wrestle with him if you wish. At least you're in touch. And that's a good thing. And then at the very end, and I'm, I'm going to come back to the middle of the, chapter, uh, of the book. At the very end in chapter 3, I love what Habakkuk then decides. He says, even if the water runs out and the fields don't produce and there is no game and we starve and die here, I have trust in God. And I'm, there is no better ending than that. It's a beautiful ending. But in the middle, there is a line, uh, you might say two lines, but there is a line that resonates and I remember so often. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Whenever God has finally made a pronunciation, he may work with you, but whenever he says, here's your line, accept that there's the line. He is still king. He is the Lord.